Thank you, Jacob. When Jacob was getting started and kind of plopped his Bible up here on the pew, my son Jacob leaned over to me and said, is he going to (laughs) preach? He certainly could. Tom and Brenda, X-Line, we are so grateful uh, to have you here and honored to have you in our presence. Deb, glad to see you. Thank you for being here. Um, Brad and Jan Branham, I know God has been faithful to you, and we're grateful that God has brought you here today, too, in your family. So welcome to all of you. And um, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. We, we really desire that you feel the Lord's strong presence here. Um, that's why we believe in his word. It's powerful. We believe in his spirit as God works in and through each and every one of you for the praise and glory of his name. Jacob read from James chapter 1. We are in a, a brief kind of time together, so I do want to invite you Um, to turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to talk about an interesting passage of Scripture this morning on the the how and why, the nature of sin. You know, I get a lot of questions. People ask, well, what's your view on, you know, they'll fill in the blank. They kind of want to know where you stand on a particular issue theologically. It might be eternal security. It might be something related to prophecy or end times. You know, you pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, make me ill, that kind of stuff. You know, where are you? (laughs) Somebody, where are you on sin? You need to know we're against it, okay? First Baptist North Terre Haute is against sin. And here's why. Because God is. That's what he tells us in his word. There's an interesting kind of lore that has kind of crept up around believers over the years. It comes out of the turn of the century. And it comes really out of the entertainment world. And this is this idea that the devil made me do it. This caricature of kind of um, the enemy, the evil one, kind of in a, in a red, spooky, kind of cloth-like outfit with a, with a pitchfork and kind of flames around him, kind of speaking into my ear and poking me with the pitchfork. And it, it's the devil, it's the devil that made me do it. Whatever it is, whatever the offense, whatever the infraction, we can just very easily say, well, it wasn't me, it was the devil, The devil made me say that. The devil made me act like that. The devil made me have that kind of response. The devil caused me to harbor that sort of attitude. It was the devil that made me do it. Well, God, listen, has a completely different perspective on the how and why we sin. And that's what James talks about here in the beginning of this section where he turns to talk about matters of the heart. just want to rewind the tape a little bit. And read starting in verse 12 of James chapter 1 and and see how he develops this. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That word trial is often translated test or temptation. Well, he's been talking about how to endure in times of adversity, in times of trial. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, same word, He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, same word, not trial, this is temptation. When tested or tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after Desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to life. James wants us to understand that just like adversity, 
hardships, trials, these things that he's been talking about at the beginning of this letter are very much a part of the human experience and especially the experience of those who follow after God through faith in Jesus Christ, so is the very real experience of temptation. We feel it. We feel that lure, that pull to kind of somehow go against God's standard. It might be in a remark, it might be in a thought that we have, or in an attitude, or we might lash out with a particular action, or maybe it's a stubborn pattern, it's, it's something, but whatever it is, 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 it is beneath God's standard, and we call it sin, and temptation is that force that leads us um, to actually commit that act, or commit that sin, and that's what he's talking about. When you feel that press, when you feel that that inevitable pull of temptation, you need to know that you are not allowed to say, it is God who is tempting me. Because, two things. First of all, God cannot be tempted. Now, this is just James basically saying that God is light. In him there is no darkness. There is nothing around them that, 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 that would allow sin or sin's lure or the power of temptation to actually manipulate him in any manner or form. God cannot be moved, affected, or tempted by sin. He cannot. It is not his nature. It is not his way. It is an eternal supernatural impossibility is what James says. So you therefore cannot say in the midst of your trial when you are tempted to walk from God or somehow be subservient to Him, disobey Him in sin. You cannot say it is God who is tempting me. The first reason is is because God cannot be tempted. It's not His world. It's not His nature. It's not His character. But the second reason you cannot say that is because God doesn't do this. (laughs) This is not a way of God. God is not somehow up in the throne room of heaven trying to figure out a way that he can kind of tempt you towards sin in order that he might bring about some sort of result. That's also not a way of God. God is not the tempter. He is not the one who kind of tempts you to sin. So you can't say in the midst of this temptation, well, it must be God because it's not. It's not God. God cannot be tempted. He cannot be manipulated by temptation, nor is he the origin or substance of it. He does not tempt anyone. He doesn't do it. But rather, you see, there's another force There's another reality that we need to wrestle with and actually embrace and recognize in order for us to begin to have some reasonable experience that is above and beyond and even victorious over this idea of temptation. And this is what he says, each one, now that's specific, he calls out the individual, you, myself, each one is tempted when by my own, by his own evil desire, is dragged away and enticed. Now, what James is saying is if you are feeling this press, if you are feeling this pull, this force of temptation that is very much a part of the human experience, especially if you're a Christian, when you are feeling that, the threat is from within. It's from within. This temptation begins in the human heart. 
Each one, each one of us, no one is exempt. <laughs> Everyone, regardless of who you are, what your experience is, how long you've been at this, each one is lured away towards this potentiality of sinning, whether it be in a thought or an action or something that comes out of your mouth or whatever it might be. Each one of us is lured away by what is already in our hearts. See, the problem is my heart. It's what's within it's a threat that comes from within. Now, to kind of look at that, hold your finger here, and we want to go over to an Old Testament passage. It's one of the prophets, Jeremiah. So all the way to the left in your copy of the Scriptures, if you have a Bible with you, <clears throat> to the prophet Jeremiah. And I want you to see what he says. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He just always it seemed like was crying, but I think it's because he always had hard messages to bring to God's people. All right? Jeremiah did not draw crowds with his preaching, by the way, all right? He actually repelled people, but because he delivered some hard truths about the reality of following after God. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 7, this is what Jeremiah says. Listen, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. That's, that's the real path to blessing, is following God, obeying his word, being living a life in submission to him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. That, that means there's blessing, there's shade, um, there's provision. That's what I think of when I think of a big tree, a big oak tree where a lot of people can sit under it and enjoy the beauty and the protection and the, the shade of it. A man who trusts God not only receives that blessing for himself, but there's, there's an enormous um, reality and experience of blessing for everyone around him. That sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's a life of stability. You want a life of stability? Not, not free of adversity. That's the beginning of James. But if you want a life of stability and blessing, true blessing, James says, Jeremiah says, Trust the Lord. Obey God. Do what he says. Just fear him. Love him. Serve him. Know what he says about you and about your life and about your attitudes and about how you spend your time and how you use your talent and gifts and your body and all of these other things. Just obey God if you want a life like this. If you want to be like a tree. Or you can be like the flower that Jacob read about in James chapter 1. It just burns up as soon as the heat is on. It's gone. That's what happens when you don't obey God. When you just kind of stay on this path, or I can do this, I can, I've figured this out, I'm going to live my life like this, I'm going to kind of live this life over here, and when the lights are on over here, I'm going to live this kind of life. Listen, you are not long for this world. There's no stability in that. There's no shade. There's no fruit that is born in a life like that. Now, Jeremiah says, this, this is real living. This is what it really looks like to find blessing, and that is to obey God. Trust him. Trust what he says. Verse 9. The heart, however, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I think the King James says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot rely on the attitudes and musings of your heart because it is deceitful. It will trick you every time. Your heart is not reliable. 
If you say, well, this is what I feel. This is how I think. This is what I really think I should do in my heart. Listen, you are on thin ice there because your heart is deceitful. You will be deceived every time. I'm not saying this. God is saying this through his word. Is an unreliable source of direction of anything. Who can understand it? You see, the threat is from within. The problem is my heart. Now, if you go over to Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said some very similar things. Keep your place in James 1. We'll come back to that, I promise. Um, But Matthew chapter 15. Jesus really kind of picks up this same kind of theme. And he's speaking to the disciples, of course. And he says in verse 13, Matthew 15, 13, listen to the words of Jesus. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The pit being a metaphor for for just, just loss and brokenness and sin. Okay, so they'll end up in the pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Um, Peter always needed a little remedial help there. So he needed some explanation. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Now watch this. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth, that is the thing, the things you say come from the heart. And this is what makes a man unclean. But not only that, for out of the heart come, watch this, evil thoughts. Listen, you can sin with your words. But that that doesn't come from out there. That comes from your heart. You can sin with your mind, with your thoughts. Your thoughts can, can break covenant with God. You can have a sinful thought or a sinful pattern of thinking. That comes from your heart. Murder comes from your heart. Adultery comes from your heart. Sexual immorality, that's doing things with your body that is dishonoring to God. Theft, that's stealing. That comes from your heart. False testimony, that's lying. That comes from your heart. Slander, that's lying about someone else's character. That comes from your heart. These are what make a man unclean. You see, the threat is not from without. The threat is from within. That's why you cannot say when you are tempted, (laughs) God is tempting me. Number one, he doesn't do that. He also cannot be tempted. The problem is, there's enough stuff in my own heart that when the sin is out there, I am led away by my own desire and sinful urges to actually pursue that. It starts in my heart, is what he says. Out of my heart come these sinful thoughts, the, the lure of lust and temptation because it's already there. Now, by the way, we're going to get to some good news here in a moment, but you've got you to hang in there with me for a minute to understand the force of this. But there's also a threat from without. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, a little Bible survey here. This is all the way back to the beginning of your scriptures, if you have a copy of the Bible. Genesis 4. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'm going to read it all for you. Just listen. This is the <clears throat> Adam narratives, of course. We all know what happened in Genesis 3. That was the fall of man through Adam's disobedience, and he had sons, Cain and Abel. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, verse 4, brought fat portions. 
from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry. That's an attitude of the heart. And his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Listen, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That, that's Jeremiah. You follow after God. You trust him. You will find favor. But if you do not do what is right, watch this. Sin is crouching at the door. It's everywhere. It's, it's wanting to take full advantage of everything that's already in your heart. It's crouching at the door. It's the image of a predator waiting to pounce on you because you're already weak. Sin crouches at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master over it. And then over in Genesis 39, this is the great story about another young man. It's great to see our young men and our young women deciding and determining to follow after the Lord. So thankful for that. It's not an easy stretch these days, believe me, um, or believe them. But what a wonderful thing to see young men and young women say, you know what, I'm going I'm to trust God with my life. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going I'm I'm to follow Him. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to wait for Him to direct my paths. Man, just watch. You're just, you're just going to see the glimmer on the side of those kids' lives as they launch out and trust the Lord in obedience because they're going to have His blessing. They're going to have his favor. One of those young men in the scriptures was Joseph. And that's what's the story in Genesis 39. He'd gone down to Egypt. He was a, a victim of injustice because of his brothers. Had a very dysfunctional home. But he ended up in Potiphar's house. Uh, verse 2 of 39. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in every uh, thing he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his personal attendant. I mean, isn't that a great story? Here's this young man who fears the Lord. He follows after him. He's obedient. And now he's got a great job. <laughs> isn't that the vision of life? Can I get a witness out there? That's what we want to have happen. This is a good story. This is the stuff of uh, Christmas letters. You know, when you get these Christmas letters, and, well, this one's doing this, and she graduated with that. And Joseph, he's in Potiphar's house, and he's got a great job. <laughs> Sorry about that, if you write Christmas letters. That's the stuff. Anyway, okay. So, he left in Joseph's care, verse 6, everything he had. Why? Because he had character. He trusted God. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph, look at this. He had the full package. And in my scripture, my translation, NIV says, Joseph was well built and handsome. It's just, this was one, he had everything. Um, he was strong and handsome. He's easy to look at, that kind of thing. Um, and, he, and the master said, uh, he, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And by the way, that happens. It happens. Well-built, good-looking young man, great job. Got it made. Made the Christmas letter. 
come to bed with me. You know, this, this stuff doesn't end up in those letters. What happens next? But this tells the real tale. Because according to James, the problem wasn't Potiphar's wife. The problem was everything that was already going on in Joseph's heart. All the potential for that thing to come unglued was already in his heart. Joseph couldn't say, Lord, what are you doing placing me in this place, tempting me with this woman? No, he can't say that. God doesn't tempt anyone, nor can he be tempted. It happens. This is real stuff. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, by the way, that's how it happens, over and over these these opportunities arise and we're vulnerable because of what's already in our hearts. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. With the perfect opportunity, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Way to go, Joseph. Way to go, Joe. Listen, this is a great story because Joseph understood somehow long before James ever picked up his pen to write this letter, the first and foremost acknowledgement is that the sin is already in my heart. And what I need to do is acknowledge this is an affront to God. Acknowledge God. God is the one who rules. God is the one who owns my life. God is the one who placed me in this place and has given me all of this gracious provision. God is the one who owns my frame. He acknowledges God, and then then he uses his head. He just starts to reason through this thing. Listen, this doesn't make sense. First of all, this man has given me everything. He's entrusted everything to me. I can have anything in his house except you. And by the way, I would be actually sinning against him and against God in doing this. And then, and then he, 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 he used his legs. He bolts. I love that. Listen, guys, <laughs> here's a pattern. This is good for you. Girls, too. But let's face it. Guys have a little harder time with this kind of stuff. When you feel that temptation because you already know what's in heart, first of all, first thing, acknowledge. Acknowledge God. Just acknowledge God. This, if I did this, it would bring such dishonor to my gracious God. And then take a little time to use your head. Like Joseph, just reason through this. If you do this, imagine, imagine how, how everything could possibly come unglued. <laughs> and then I suggest, like Joseph, you use your legs and just bolt. Just bolt. I don't care what it is, if, you're, if, it, if it's at a computer or if you're, if you're in some sort of situation and, and there's a temptation or if it's in your mind, acknowledge God, reason through it, and then bolt. Bolt. 
Because the problem is not without, the problem is within. All the potential for ruin is in me, it's in you. Now, lest you kind of leave in despair, I want to give you some, some hope because James doesn't leave us here. He says in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. See, this is God's way. God is above us, and so what he does is he doesn't tempt us. He doesn't lead us um, into these kind of places, but rather he gives us good gifts from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. That's God. He's immovable on your behalf. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the, a kind of first fruits of all he created. That's God. He's not a tempter. He's a giver. He's a provider. He's a protector. That's God. Good things come from God, not bad things. Bad things come from within. Now, there's a couple of things that I want us to understand in the midst of the temptation and that I think that Joseph had. First of all, there's a power of a promise. If you'll go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to see this. I was talking to a young man this week, struggling with some sinful thoughts. He was out of his mind. He was just, I cannot help myself. I've got to figure out how to overcome this. What a powerful promise from the Word of God. I want to share it with you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to these believers. They're struggling under the weight of sin's sin's temptation. He gives them a couple examples from the Old Testament story about how God's people uh, fell in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And he says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. See, part of my problem is I might have this presumptuous attitude that I'm really okay. I can handle this. And the apostle says, watch that kind of attitude. Be careful if you think you are able to stand firm lest you fall. So watch that. And then he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to all, to all men. There's no temptation that could possibly come into your life that could take full advantage of the stuff that's already in your heart that someone else on the planet has not already experienced. It's part of the human reality. And here's the promise, God is faithful. God is faithful. In the midst of that temptation, he's not the tempter, he's the faithful one. And here's how faithful he is. First of all, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will never let it get so far beyond the ability for you to actually resist it. Whatever you have felt this week or in the weeks past, in terms of the intensity of this temptation, you need to know that you are working with a net. God is there. He will never let that temptation get anywhere near the limit of what you are able to bear. That's the first part of the promise. That's how faithful he is. Did you know that God was involved in the struggle of your temptation? He's not the tempter, but he's there. He's faithful. And second, I love this part, when you are tempted... 
He will also provide, that's a faithfulness word, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Guess what God's going to do? First of all, He's going to hold back the limit of that temptation's strength. It's never going to go into the red zone for you. He's faithful. The second thing He's going to do He's going to show your ramp. He's going to give you an out. So in the midst of that struggle, that press, that lure of your own desires, it's never going to get beyond your limit, but the second thing, he's going to give you a ramp. Maybe the phone will ring, and all of a sudden you'll have an opportunity to just get away. Maybe it'll be a word from someone who'll just come along at the right time and just and lift you away from that temptation. Or it'll be a truth from God's word that all of a sudden he'll bring to the forefront of your mind and it'll be a, you'll know it. It'll be a green light. It'll say, get off. It'll be a ramp for you to get out of that temptation. That's how faithful God is. He'll do it. Now, <laughs> when you see the ramp... You need to bolt, like Joseph. Take the ramp. Turn off the whatever. Walk away from the whoever. Say no to the whatever and take the ramp. Because God is faithful. He's faithful. That's the power of the promise. There's a second thing, final thing that I want you to see, and that's the power of the person. Now, don't turn here. Well, you can if you want, but I just want you to hear these words from Hebrews. I was reading this this week, and I thought, wow. We've got to slide this in. This, not only the power of the promise, but the power of the person. This writer is talking to these believers who are, are, are they're going weak in the knees because of the temptation to, to, to lose their faith in the midst of, of persecution. And this is what this writer says, verse 14 of Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now watch this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. He's felt the fullest brunt of, of temptation's power, the fullest opportunity <coughs> to sin against God, yet he did not sin. And so he goes with you. He, as your high priest, advocates for you in the midst of that temptation. And he is not like all the other high priests of the world who cannot sympathize with where you are. But he's been there, and yet he did it without sin. And verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. That mercy and that grace is what you need in the midst of that temptation you need to come boldly to the throne of grace and call on the name of God in the power of Jesus and ask Him to deliver you from that temptation. You can come with boldness. 
and receive a gracious deliverance from God's hand. He is faithful. He's faithful. This high priest is faithful. He's been there. And he goes with you. By the way, I think I would be <clears throat> doing somewhat of an injustice here if we did not talk about another reality. It's also in the scriptures, but I, I don't always want to give it too much due because I, I don't think he should receive anywhere near the billing that our Lord Jesus gets. But we, we have a formidable foe, as Luther describes him, in our enemy, that is Satan. And John says that, that, that Satan's strategy is threefold. First of all, he's going to lie to you. Every time. Satan's a liar. He's going to tell you everything's okay. This is not really that big of a deal. You'll get through this. This is not a big deal. God doesn't really mean this. He's going to lie to you every time, no matter what it is. Whatever, whatever the situation is, he's going to lie to you. The second thing that John says is that he comes to steal. So it's going to be petty larceny. He's going to begin to steal things from your life. You're not even going to know it. All of a sudden you're going to notice things are missing in your life. Priorities. Time. Resources. He's, he's going to start to steal from you. So you're going to lie and then he's going to steal. And when you're weak enough, the Bible says Satan moves in for the kill. Lie, steal, destroy. That's Satan's way every time. Lie, steal, destroy. Lie, steal, destroy. But we have the power of the person. The end of Paul's letter, second letter, final letter, and I'm going to close with this, I promise. He wrote to Timothy, his young son in the faith, and he was trying to set him up for a lifetime of effective ministry. And Paul had known what it was felt like to be deserted. He says in ver at the end of chapter 4, he, he's talking to, these, to Timothy. He says, come before winter. Just do your best to come to me quickly. He's talking to Timothy. He just wanted Timothy by his side. Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. He's gone. Demas is gone. <coughs> to Thessalonica. Cretans, he's gone. He's in Galatia. Titus, he's gone too. He's in Dalmatia. Only Luke, God bless Luke, is with me. Get Mark, bring him. <coughs> He's helpful in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring my coat, bring my uh, to Carpus, um, and bring my. I left my my cloak, my cloak at Carpus, and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. You're gonna have people like that in your life, folks. You just need to know that. There are people in your life that the only thing they want to do is bring you harm. That's their goal. They're going to talk you down. They're going to tell lies about you. They're going to slander you. They're going to stir the pot.